Welcome to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Hey, Paul, how are you? I'm doing well, and I'm, I'm helping out many people. So I got a brand, you can see it, but no one else can. I got a brand new fake palm tree in my office to give you the beach vibe, and the temperature outside has ris- risen into the triple digits. So you're welcome, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> that is that a, it looks pretty real. I mean, that's pretty impressive. That's the whole point, yes. It is, uh, it is not real. It is, uh, it is fake and uh, kind of, you know, when, when you're talking to the people who live in dreary London, I want a little sunshine. So here we go. I- <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because uh, I helped a friend, uh, his neighbor was actually they're selling everything, buying a giant Winnebago and driving around America. They're retired and, you know, just going to go do their thing. And so they were selling everything in their house. And he was like, hey, I've bought their entire bed suite off them. It's like, great, guys, I need some help. So I get there and this stuff is like solid wood with like granite tops. And I looked at him and was like, you're joking, right? Like, <laughs> I figured this was like lifting Ikea gear next door, not like entire suites of millionaire furniture. But they, they were trying to sell us other things and they had they had a plant in a pot. And I was like, oh, that that's great. How often do you have to water it? And the woman looked at me like, it's not real. And I was like, even better, I'll take it. So that's now downstairs in my hallway. So we both have fake parts. Look at that. So it's not like that we'll kill them, right? No, well, <laughs> we may still. This might happen. Anyway, there we go. Everyone should have a fake plant in their office. Uh, so Microsoft news for this week. The um, in the tech community, the Office Add-in Development Core for July 2021 is up, and they were talking about. Uh, which I know Juan has been working on for a while, which is great. But this ability to use Outlook event-based activation to tag external recipients. So this notion of when you open an email in Outlook or OO or wherever you're running Outlook, this ability of on-message recipients change event that you can actually go and tweak the subject line as an example, which was pretty cool. I mean, we actually have that internally. Like, But actually, even my personal M365 tenant has that notion of um, adding external in square brackets to your subject lines. But this is just a good example by David Chestnut of doing that in real time as you're editing a document, which is really, really cool. Well worth looking at that in the uh, community call this month. Yeah, I, I was surprised to see this a bit because I thought the community calls were on break for the summer. It turns out not all of them are on break, just some of them. So yeah, yeah. we're keeping everyone on their toes. And there has, as I've mentioned in previous uh, intros, that there is some consolidation and some of them are not consolidating because they still want to have their own like dedicated audience. Um, but like the graph SharePoint and Teams one is consolidating into one kind of PG call. Yeah, the, the Tuesday calls are on hiatus and the Thursday calls are not. So uh, if, if that helps folks uh, to track through. So yeah, yeah good to that's, see. that's one way of doing it. And then I saw actually Jeff Teeper tweeting this the other day too, and you've picked up on it too. But um, on the July 21st, this was announced, which was introducing the broadcast development kit for Microsoft Teams. And so this is all about it's an open source project that enables you to flexibly integrate Teams directly into your cloud production workflows running on Microsoft Azure. And so the idea being is, is that you can kind of control the streams and uh, of the video content and, and manage how that gets broadcasted. And there's this awesome architecture diagram <laughs> halfway down that blog post of like 
50 different things you need to run in Azure. It's basically AAD, the API management gateway as part of the app service, Cosmos DB, Azure Functions, and then a media bot. And then it's using all the cloud communication APIs on Microsoft Graph and the you know Microsoft Teams as a product. So it's pretty cool that they've built like a full web portal and a Teams extension to help a broadcast engineer like run a, a full-blown broadcast within Teams. Um, and like shared all the source code for it as well. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that struck me is that it's the cloud communications API, which we talked about a few episodes back. And that is then pumping into this whatever media production system that people would use. And they actually mentioned this is kind of the concept that the, the sports leagues here in the United States used during the pandemic to to augment their broadcast. So yeah, pretty cool stuff. So if you, uh, you know, it's yet another feature that cloud communications API that would, you know, I didn't even think of this when I was, when we were chatting about it, it was more like, you know, telephone assistant and or, or scheduling, you know, calls and stuff, but this is great. Nice to see. Yeah. And they've got like a nice little extension, a meeting extension add-in that goes into Teams that shows like who the broadcast output is and the primary speaker and who the media stream is. And then, you know, the participants that are running the broadcast so they can chat and converse and stuff. So really cool stuff. What else did you find that Microsoft announced? Christos, who was on the show a while back, had posted another update on the 425 show blog, and he is talking about the secure open API with Azure Active Directory. And I I, ran, I bookmarked this uh, because I've run into this issue. So if I do file new project, well, at least in Visual Studio, if I do file new project and I choose a web API, it'll it'll wire up the third-party product called Swashbuckle, the NuGet package, which will generate an open API, aka a Swagger file. And that will then reflect over your controllers and show you the shape of your API that if you wanted to consume it. Well, as soon as you put the authentication middleware in there, the, that API endpoint then breaks because who, who's calling this Swagger endpoint with a token, right? I mean, because why would you? You're just trying to get the description of it, right? And so Christos goes through and helps you tweak it so that, yes, you can then make that endpoint work. Uh, with the middleware, you still need a token to get the the API description, which may be what you want. Um, so that's certainly you know worthwhile. But it was great to see that I ran into this, needed that. Oh, boom! There we go. And I don't necessarily have a, a programmatic way to read and process the API, but it certainly helps when I'm talking about endpoints with the boss about what we're building and not building. It, it's a great view to say, oh, we have this endpoint with this data, and and it works. So even just collaborating with humans, it's great to have it. So thanks, Christos, for that up latest update. How long has env dot is development method been around in .NET? Is that a oh though uh, yeah like forever pretty much well yes. it's been in .NET Core I, I don't know that it was in the the framework I take that back uh, even in the framework that is an Visual Studio would always set an environment variable to true if it's in development so if you press that five that that setting is is true ah uh, right okay that's cool I'm pretty sure it defaults to the the development unless you set it otherwise I might have it backwards because when I when you publish to Azure I can never I always have to check it <laughs> but yeah it's pretty interesting stuff but yeah that is environment is for certain is is Visual Studio sets it to true so if you press that five you're in development mode and that that kind of you know remember you didn't want to let the yellow screen of death be externally visible because it might disclose information about your environment or your code right and so that right. That was a flip. That's now called the developer error message panel, which is visible when you press F5, but it's by default not visible if you're not. It's the same kind of concept there. 
I remember in a production environment flipping a web config just to see it because I couldn't get access to the logs. And there we go. So you start owning up to Hey, health checks are your friend. Yeah, Figure out how to right. do health checks. That's what I do. <laughs> do the health checks and put the, you can put those behind a token as well and it'll dump out all kinds of stuff that you need. So That's why no one lets me need production code anymore. So from the community, well, I mean community, Timoni works at uh, Microsoft. And she's actually just relocated to Hawaii. I've been very jealously following her on Twitter as she's relocated all the life over there. Um, but she did a blog on uh, the Teams Toolkit extension that we actually had the folks come on and talk about last week with Zenia and Tim. But there's some really cool bits in here. It's like just screenshots and calling out some nice labeling. Looks like she's maybe using Snagit to do this because it looks really cool. But uh, that was a really good, like, de- as you would expect from a dev-, dev advocate, a detailed blog post with lots of screenshots on how to get this thing going from start to finish. See, I'm going to pretend that she was inspired by our podcast to go and write a blog <laughs> post. <laughs> and, and yeah, it's great, right? Having the, the PMs and the engineers on to talk about what they built is nice, but being able to get someone outside the engineering team, in this case, uh, an advocate to say, here's how I use it, I think how it kind of completes the picture. So, yeah, it's great to see this here. And, and yeah, the, the, the lots of fancy pictures. Even a guy like me can follow along. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. And then you found one by Yannick. So Yannick was also inspired by us. And he actually says so. He <laughs> Back when Christos was on and we had the secretless application well, no conversation. Joke, he actually does do it at the top of his yes, blog at, at the top it says, yes. So thanks so much, right? Um, so y- y- Yannick, by the way, was on episode 237. And see, you know, so kind of a closed circle here, but he is following through with a, a series of posts about secretless applications use, you know, a little bit more in depth than Christoph did in his blog post. Christoph said, yeah, it works. And here's all the pieces I use to make it work. But again, like we, like before we now have a, you know, external party coming in and walking through step-by-step and a lot of screenshots and a lot of code uh, to, to show how to set up the different pieces and get, get it working. And he also, Yannick, that is, is using, you know, the Azure SDKs for managed identity to get the, the credential. But he talks about how when you call graph, what do you do if you're calling the CSOM or PNP? Here's how you can do it. If you're calling dynamics, here's how you can do it. So it's not just it's not just the stuff we've seen before. He's also gone kind of full circle, if you will. So uh, thanks, uh, Yannick, for the, sh- the shout out. And thanks for a great, uh, a great set of posts. Hey, we, we have one confirmed listen to the podcast. That's Paul. right. That's, good. That's right. Yes. Well, two, right? Some unnamed PM gave you grief for, for telling the wrong story. So we have at least two That's people true. who listen, right? <laughs> we, have, we have two. <laughs> I, I need to do a public apology for calling uh, him Australian when he was actually, he's from New Zealand. Yeah, if you're from that part of the world, that's a big deal, right? Yeah, so Darren, I'm very sorry if you listen to the show and I called you Australian. You live in Australia, but I didn't realize you were a Kiwi, which is quite a big insult for a Kiwi. So there you go, okay. In other news, uh, if we also had uh, AC Andrew Connell on his Voitonis blog uh, talking about Getting with the times and ditching TSLint in favor of ESLint, TypeScript Lint and ECMAScript Lint. Is that right? I believe that's correct. Yes. I was looking for you for the right answer here, but I guess you're not doing enough with SPFX. Uh, yeah. Remember, I used the big Visual Studio and C Sharp and you're asking me these questions. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think that's correct. If there's a listener, they may correct me if I'm wrong. But I, I did see the Twitter conversations about this and the fact that this has been an ask of the SPFX framework team for quite some time. And Andrew's kind of gotten gone through in detail of how to do this um, to get 
get up to date here, which is, um, as expected from AC, a very well-written blog post of upgrading to ESLint. Yeah, yes, and there's a call out in his blog post that he says, by the way, you have to use an older version because of the way the SPFX build the chain works. So the documentation that you see at the ESLint site may not be correct. You have to go back to the docs for an older version. And so thank, that call out is going to save a lot of folks. And that's why I wanted to highlight it. Thanks, AC, for pushing that, putting that out there. And folks, if you're doing this, you can't just go to the ESLint site for answers. By default, you might have to do a little bit of digging to make sure you got the synced version. So... And he calls out as well that the SharePoint framework is using TSLint, which was deprecated two and a half years ago as well. So I suspect this blog post might motivate the SPFX team to do this work. Yeah, yeah. The I mean, the, the SPFX or the SharePoint framework has moved along incrementally basically every year with a new version, but it's dependencies haven't always moved and the tool chain is that as well. So um, interesting to see what's coming. I know they said that the local workbench won't be included going forward. So I wonder if that can maybe can cut out some of the build chain dependencies and modernize it. But again, I don't write enough, I don't write enough code here to be an expert. So we'll certainly defer to, to AC. Uh, yeah, interesting. All right, well, um, thanks everyone for listening. Quick reminder, I did check Apple iTunes reviews and the last review was from four years ago. So if you're listening to this, fill the guilt <laughs> and open up your podcast app right now. Pull over if you're driving, pull over if you're cycling, pull over if you're running and just fill out a quick review of the podcast because we really appreciate hearing from you. And obviously it helps us to discover a big, bigger audience. And with that, enjoy the interview. Today on the podcast, I'm delighted to welcome Joel Rodriguez. Welcome, Joel. Thank you, Paul. Glad to be here. Thank you. And will you introduce yourself for our listeners? Yes, yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Joel Rodriguez. I'm Portuguese, currently living in the UK and working remotely for a company based in Ireland, the Storm Technology, which is a Microsoft partner uh, working with private and the public sector. So all sorts of clients, really. <laughs> Uh, and I apologize for mispronouncing your name. I'm going to add you to the quite lengthy list of names that I can't get right with, with my uh, American accent here. So thank you so much. Now, I, I invited Joel on the show this this week because of an interesting tweet you put out there. You were trying to get tokens amongst Azure functions. And this it struck me that, you know, sometimes folks struggle with getting this done. And why would I use one thing or another? So the, the, the topic today is here's how someone who's, you know, outside of Microsoft trying to use the, the service in a way to get a job done and and what struggles you run into and how you fix them. So can you give us just an overview of what this what this problem was that you were trying to solve on Twitter? <laughs> sure. Uh, so we I was working on a project with some colleagues where we have a SharePoint Framework web part. We have more than one, actually, but we have a UI using SharePoint Framework. And then we have some services in the background based on Azure Functions, which we then consume from SharePoint Framework. Because of all the security that needs to be in place, the Azure Functions were secured with the Azure AD apps. Uh, so Azure AD on top of it, uh, just using the standard authentication configuration from Azure Portal. And uh, in front of the, uh, the main functions, we were using a proxy function also secured with Azure AD. And the issue that we were seeing was when doing a request from SharePoint Framework using the AD HTTP client, 
was going through the first function, the proxy function, but was being blocked by the second function, rejected. And uh, to be honest, I don't know what happened there. Uh, so everything should just work. We tried a few things, couldn't get it to work. Uh, at the end of the day, I just went to my dev stand and set up two new functions, completely blank. Uh, did a request from SharePoint Framework, and it just went straight. So I enabled authentication of, on both of them, and the, the request went straight to the second function as well. All I did on the project was remove all the authentication, set up again, and everything just worked. <laughs> Which can be a bit frustrating, right? <laughs> exactly. The tools are great. They just work. Something We just misconfigured something for sure. Yes. So, what is this proxy function? What, what was? What's the goal of having something like that? So, the project is a little bit complex. It has multiple functions in the background. Uh, the, some running in schedules. Some uh, using HTTP triggers. And to because some of them take some time to process. It will be too much to put all the functions into one app service uh, because we will run out of uh, resources there. So we have to split the process into a few functions. And we use the proxy function, which basically receives the requests. So it's the function that receives all the requests from the front end and then routes the requests to the destination function based on roles. Okay, and so these roles, I guess the first question that pops in is, these roles, are they app roles or is this based on the role of the user? Uh, no, so it's basically a configuration where you specify a URL segment, uh, let's say content for a slash get something, and you will you then specify the URL of the function that will receive that request. So if the proxy function receives a request to that endpoint, it then redirects. Uh, the request to this, the function that, or basically the URL that you specify. And you can even uh, override headers or uh, even response before the proxy, from the proxy function. So is this, is this a separate configuration in Azure or is this the plain old function and you're issuing a, a redirect code? Oh, uh, that's all uh, Azure configuration. There's no custom code involved at all. Uh, I mean, there is a JSON definition really. And then there is a proxy option there in the function that is very easy to use. Okay, so so this isn't any code or, or security things that you've done necessarily. You're just configuring Azure to say, if it matches this URL endpoint, I want you to route it to a different service? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, and this sounds like like typical Azure. There's more more ways to do things, right? So this sounds a lot like what I could do with the front door or a secure gateway, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's similar. I don't know why we went with the proxy function, actually. It was already there when I joined the project. Yeah. <laughs> but I, it, it's still a valid uh, case scenario. Uh, I mean, it works fine. Uh, it's easy to set up. And, and then the, the authentication, I, th I think you said you just set up the in the portal, right? You did the point and click setup with with the configuration there. And, and so if I'm going to be going down that route, and I want to call that from SPFX as you were doing, do, do I still go to the Azure AD portal to find client IDs and certificates and stuff? Or is this something that's handled for me in the function app? How, how do I go about setting that up for myself? Uh, so in the function itself, we just enable it. Uh, we, you can 
pick an app registration you already have. You can create one at the time of the setup. Uh, we only we already had one uh, that we have to use everywhere, which is arguable <laughs> if it's best practice yeah. or not. <laughs> uh, but in this case, we had to use the same app registration. So we just picked up the existing one, uh, and basically Azure sets up everything for you at that point. You specify the type of uh, response for uh, an authenticated request, if you want to behave like an API or a website. Uh, and then from the SharePoint framework perspective, you basically give it the app ID, and there you go. Yeah, so there's nothing different there, right? And, and make sure, but now would this be a custom scope that I need to do in the central administration API access then? That, that's still there, right? Everything is the same. Yeah, yeah, okay. And and then now uh, you mentioned it's arguable about having a single app registration. Can you expound on that? I mean, I, there's two sides to the to this argument. Uh, do you want to talk? I'm not gonna. We're not gonna pass judgment. No one here is you know judgment free zone. But can you give us a little pros and cons of what you or your opinion on pros and cons and setting it up this way? From experience with other clients. Sometimes it's hard to have multiple app registrations because of their governance processes. Uh, when they start seeing things deployed to their tenants, they want to be in full control of what is there. Then they want to have governance processes in place, like they have with, for example, uh, user accounts. Uh, so we are giving them more work with by creating more app registrations, and sometimes they just don't like that. And they go down the route of, well, just use the same because at the end of the day, it's our tenant with effector rules. Sometimes it's not uh, imposed and we end up with a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and we've run into the same issue and, and I like to describe it as, you know, if I sell product ABC, the tenant administrator wants to consent product ABC. And if there's something else that throws up a red flag, I well, what are you doing? <laughs> and they don't care that there's seven Azure resources been the back end doing things, right? It, it kind of makes sense. So I, to me, that seems like it's a fair approach, right? We want to make sure, right? But obviously that brings some drawbacks, right? As, as you, you've troubled. So, so if, since you have two Azure functions then our responding quote is the same app, did you just do the same configuration or was it something tricky you had to do there? Uh, no, so on that one, I just did the same configuration. And because we they were using the same app, the same authentication was valid for both. Uh, the requests went through straight away. If we were using a different uh, app registration, uh, I did not try this. I believe it will work. That was my the thing I was going to try after, is we can retrieve tokens using uh, SharePoint Framework helper classes. Uh, we do it, for example, to in scenarios where we want to pass a user token to the backend and do queries, for example, search queries on behalf of the user. But uh, we could retrieve a token for the second app, uh, for example, pass it as a, an additional header on the request. And then on the proxy function, you have the option to override headers. We could just uh, override the authorization token at that point with the other one. It should work. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. So the theory, of course, being that uh, a token has an audience, and if you're passing that to the wrong audience, it doesn't work. I ran into that myself this morning. I mistakenly got a token for graph and then sent it to SharePoint, and guess what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> didn't guess, didn't work, right? I guess we all been on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you bang your head against the table. What's going on here? Um, now the um, I, I you know I, we kind of dug down into this hole. So I'm I'm glad your application is working and and. 
we've had a couple shows on the Azure Resource Manager bicep. Have you guys kicked the tires on that yet? Because it's certainly on my list to to do these configurations in code so that we don't screw them up, right? <laughs> no, so we haven't used that. It's on the tool of technology. It's on the list of technologies to use on the next projects, uh, definitely. Uh, but for now, we have been using ARM templates and scripting as much as possible. Certainly, it certainly helps. Um, and and now, so I want I want to transition a little bit. The, the, you know, the reason I'm following you on Twitter is because of the work you've done with the the Patterns and Practices group. Can you give us an overview of what you do there? Uh, well, I use the PNP tools everywhere. I pretty much use everything that's available, which is just awesome. As someone that works with multiple clients uh, in service providers, I guess that is a massive time saver and uh, that's what makes you competitive against other companies. Really, without if you don't really use the right tools, you, you may not even be competitive in this segment anymore. And... Uh, Every time I try to use a tool that I need to, it to do something that it does not, I try to extend it and submit pull requests. Some of the tools are extremely mature. I don't think I ever did a pull request for PNP PowerShell, for example. Maybe some comma in the documentation or typo. <laughs> uh, but and, and I use it since I ever since the first time I heard about it, really years ago, and uh, it's just as so many things, but I contributed to other projects, uh, the controls, uh, for example, uh, PNPJS, some minor contributions there, um, a little bit all over the place, really. I'm doing more contributions to the PNP controls recently. A few months ago, um, I was invited to help maintaining the project, so I've been trying to anytime, and every time I have some free time, I try to review PRs and issues. It's a very challenging task to try to catch up with the issues. You might go and close a few. Next day, you have more than the, the ones you had the day before. So it's a never-ending <laughs> roller coaster, really. Uh, yeah, so well, thanks for your efforts in that area. That uh, certainly can be overwhelming, I'm sure. So give us give us the, the overview. What, is, what are the PNP controls and why would I want to use them? Uh, so the PNP controls are reusable React controls for SharePoint Framework web parts, for the content of the web parts, or a second repository uh, property controls for the property pane of your web parts. Uh, the content controls, you can also, of course, use them in uh, library components or extensions. So the property of, are obviously specific to efforts. And they contain a very large collection of uh, controls that people created over time and contributed to the repository with common cases, common controls to solve issues that we often face. Simple things like, I want my web part to consume data from a list. Uh, I, just doesn't make any sense to add code the list on the web part. Uh, so you just give the user a dropdown where they can just select a list from the site, and that makes a very nice user experience. And, and, and so the control is this picker, or the control reads the data, or both? What, what, what kind of things can they do? Some controls are mostly UI-based, uh, but a lot of them have all the functionality built in into the control. So you just grab a snippet from the documentation, stick it in your uh, project, and the control goes, grabs all the list 
the data sorry all the list available for you to select and it's and gives you back the id of the list you selected in the example of the list picker you have awesome things like taxonomy picker and all user picker so many things the list is just growing all the time and and so it- for someone like me who's terrible at CSS and wants everything to look just like SharePoint, does does the controls help me with that regard? Does it does it match the SharePoint look and feel? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Most of them do. Some of them probably have uh, functionality that you may not find exactly in SharePoint. So the UI still use most of them are based on uh, Fluent UI. Uh, so that itself is a could start but uh, we try to keep them people in general when you get to prs they generally look already very similar to sharepoint we have people creating some controls that they just look first party controls to be honest uh, you could not tell if someone will tell me well this came from engineering team i will just say yeah that looks like that <laughs> <laughs> And, and are these available like like to npm? Yeah, forgive me because I'm not a no JavaScript guy. But are these npm commands I just run to add it to my project, or is it taking code out of the repo, the files, and pasting it in my project, or what? No, that's a good, very good question. No, you just install the npm package in your project. Uh, go to the documentation. That's the easiest way. Find the control you want. Copy the snippet to import it. Copy the snippet to use it. That's done. Tweak the properties to your needs. Uh, some things like uh, filtering conditions, or some of them you don't even need to do anything. You just paste it there, and it just does everything you want. Uh, in some cases, you may have to tweak some properties to con- to ba- basically adapt to your exact scenario because they are very configurable. People extend them all the time, adding new properties, adding the additional functionality. Uh, it's constantly growing. It's amazing what the community does there. Is there a way to see these? Is like a demo site, kind of like the lookbook, or is this? I know that might be hard to do with, uh, you know, with a community controls project. But is there a way for me to see what they look like before I go through the the whole exercise? The best way probably to see is to go to the website or just look for PNP uh, reusable controls, or from the GitHub actually the repository. There is a link uh, to the documentation, and then you have some screenshots. I'll Alternatively, you can clone the project, uh, just run npm install and run it, and you have, um, that's a web part solution, uh, SharePoint Framework web part solution, which you can just run on the workbench, and you can just, by default, he has pretty much every control there, some of them with different configurations for you to see. That's a that's a great approach, right? So they, they clone the repo, then run it locally, and I see everything I need to see. Right? And and uh, for listeners, we'll, we'll find those URLs, and we'll put those in the show notes, no, no problem. <laughs> and, uh, and then, so now, you, the... Are there any of these controls uh, that you that you've written, or are you just shepherding this collection from all these people? Um, I did some, not many, and maybe two or three. Mainly doing updates. Really, every time I find something that I want, I want them to do that they don't. There is a PR in the way. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, that's how they grow, right? Is when they there's some functionality you need to, right? And 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 now these. It sounds like these have been around for some time. So are, are the PRs that you're getting mostly enhancements and not necessarily bug fixes? I guess that kind of instills some confidence in me that I'm not getting buggy stuff, right? No, surprisingly, there's a big mix between new controls. You probably have one or two controls every month. And then 
uh, quite a few PRs for enhancements and bug fixes, but it's constantly growing. We recently even got uh, some controls for graph, which was something we didn't have before. So let's see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I assume there's overlap right between other graph controls, but yeah, this is mostly SPFX React based things, right? Is that what mostly what I'm seeing in here? Yes, they are all React based, yes. And do you know are they are any of them using the new hooks, React Hooks framework, or is it a mix of both? Yeah, some use. Uh, we it will be a gigantic task to go and rewrite everything and the chance of introducing errors is just not worth the effort. But we are starting to see a lot of the new controls uh, using hooks and people moving away from classes. There's definitely uh, progress in people upskilling there and going into modern practices. Yeah, I, I, if you have free time and you want a little chuckle, sometimes go look at the oldest item in a repository and see what it was when people first started, right? That's always, yeah. But uh, we absolutely accept contributions of both the types. If you are comfortable writing in classes, no one will judge you. I do. I still yeah. have projects with classes. I'm not going to rewrite them yeah, all. Yeah, exactly. Who's got time, right? <laughs> and, and my understanding is that they, they're interchangeable. If I import a module in my code and I call it, who cares what it was written under the covers, right? Is that fair enough, right? Exactly. You can have a project in hooks and import a control that was written in classes. It doesn't matter. It will just work. Yeah, ex excellent. And so if folks want to submit their great control, uh, what, what's the best approach? I mean, do you try to encourage communication first or just the PR that lands in there and someone has to figure it out or a hybrid? What's the best approach there? That's a great question. Uh, so I, my recommendation would be to check the contribution guidelines on the documentation. Uh, if possible, if you haven't built a control yet and if you are planning to build it, create an issue uh, and just to inform us that you are building the control. Uh, so at least someone looking for information and considering building the control will find that uh, and know that someone is already working on it. Uh, and maybe there is a chance for discussion and swapping ideas in the comments. But at least there won't be the case of two or three people trying to build the same thing and then we get PRs for the same control. And then that's the situation where you don't want to be because you will have to reject someone's code potentially. Uh, so they wasted a lot of time building something that was not accepted. And it's hard to accept that when you spend a lot of your own time, you're not paid for that. Uh, you're trying to get things better. And then, yes, you may understand that your control could be better than yours, but you still wasted a lot of time. Uh, and that's the situation to avoid. So if you, you want to build something, uh, do that first, let us know, uh, let's have a discussion uh, on maybe any questions you may have about implementation or try to align with what is already there. Uh, and then you that's the typical process. Clone the repo, create your own, uh, fork the repo, clone it, create your own branch, and then submit a PR. Yes, actually, and, and that process works because a, a while back, I'm not sure if this was in the reusable controls repo or a different one, but Hugo Bernier had a web part that was doing adaptive cards and he had a he had a, a text box for the card and a text box for the data template. Well, I had written code already that would read the data from an uh, HTTP endpoint. And so when I saw his issue, I was like, oh, I've got some, the exact, we had a lot of overlap code. But the one thing that I wrote that he didn't, 
was able to to merge the two together. So it does help to get that intent out there with an issue. So uh, I, I I second that 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 idea. It helps. It helps. So thanks so much for all your community efforts. It's great to have that. And and thanks for sharing your struggles. It it, it takes a good person to admit something went wrong, but at least you solved it. I'm glad to hear that. And and I really appreciate you taking time to to share with folks so that others can hopefully learn from your experiences. Uh, it, it, how do people find you on Twitter like I did of lurking and watching or what's the best way for folks to, to reach out if they want to chat? Yeah, uh, so people can find me at Twitter at Joel FM Rodriguez uh, or my via my blog uh, m365-dev.com uh, which was a name I didn't think much before I picked and then I wish I didn't but <laughs> that's okay. lots of people like that no no shame there excellent so thanks so much for coming on the show and we'll get these links into the show notes for folks and and uh, thanks for listening yeah my pleasure <laughs> thank you so much thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 developer podcast Please follow us on Twitter at m365devpodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks. 